Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wobbo's most bibliophilic work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Possession 15.3, which begins with Blake and his group still struggling through the library. They're at the top now, but uh, <laughs> things are no easier for them, uh, more or less. Yeah, and so obviously, again, like the setting here is is so awesome. Um, I admit I got a bit confused a few times during this chapter, like even on the second read-through, because... So this chapter opens with them apparently getting to the top, and so they're on the top of like a big pillar. Mm. But then also Blake keeps worrying things are going to drop on people from above, so I was like confused about what's the top. Like there's still books, I think, sliding around. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I'm just a bit confused as to whether this is a completely flat top of a pillar or whether there's still bookshelves and and things that can drop on you from from where they are. Yeah, I think they're at the top, but there's also like a roof above them. I'm kind of picturing it like a cave, but that just might be my imagination making things up. Yeah, because I very much pictured like just this flat top of the pillar and then, you know, nothingness out in the distance and Mm. above them. And then, you know, if you look, down there's obviously the the library built up beneath you but like i guess that's wrong like yours sounds more right based on what happens yeah i'm not i'm not sure honestly but uh, anyway the the setting of the i mean we've we've said this every single chapter but it continues to be true <laughs> that this library of this area is so much fun um yeah yeah uh, um, it's it, it it kills it and, and like it's it's been, it's that sort of stuff we talked about when we had, I think it was Arcs 11 and 12, where there was the big conflict in Hillsglade House, but it still felt like every chapter there was a different angle or, or there's mm. something different. And it's felt like that in the library as well. The first one, it was all very flimsy. Then in the second chapter, you know, we really hit the, the beats on the whole staying quiet thing and yeah. um, just trying to make your way upwards. And then in this one, it's kind of like the, the nature of the pillar and how slippery and, and, and all that stuff it gets. So like, I, I like how not only is it just a really cool setting, but Walbo tends to focus on a different aspect of it, each chapter, which makes it feel like continuously, fle- continuously fresh. Yeah. And we get this kind of King of the Hill style combat, um, this chapter, which again gives it a different vibe of just them purely trying to defend themselves against hordes of, uh, horrible things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And of course, Wabo sets up how we should feel about the Abyss immediately by comparing it to an egg, which is Wabo shorthand for this thing's bad. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and speaking of, I want to talk about something that goes on between Rose and Alistair. Mm. Um, speaking of so, what, an egg? <laughs> I don't no, bad. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll just read out this whole quote. Um, so Blake says, uh, Rose shared a glance with him. It wasn't a pairing of love. It was a pairing. He'd helped her make the first step in reaching out to me. That counted for something. Helping helping her on her way to being better. She was improving by building something, while I only made headway by tearing things down. Ultimately, the reason I was deferring to her, because if the tables were turned, I wasn't sure I could trust her to make the sacrifice. She met my eyes. Um, so first of all, like, I, I love the way this sort of continues what we talked about last chapter where Rose, because Rose looks at both of them, like she looks at Alistair first, and then I guess after not getting anything out of him, she then looks at looks at Blake. Mm. Um, and it just reminded me of that, of, of what we saw last chapter where, where she was, when she was struggling, she was happy to reach out for, for Blake. 
but when things are calmer she she seems to go to Alistair first um and, and obviously like I just like how that starts to work into this idea Blake has of they're not like a pair of genuine love at least not yet um but they do seem to make a pretty good pair seems to be his sort of thinking yeah yeah I I think it's interesting to keep an eye on their relationship this chapter um you're right that they don't seem like a genuine pair but Alistair I think is like getting them to the spot of being a genuine pair like he's pushing them in that direction I mean yeah like even Blake can't argue with the fact that they seem to actually make a pretty good team who are genuinely backing each other um whether there's any romantic angle to their relationship it seems unlikely at the moment but you know I guess we'll see yeah Um, I mean I think obviously the other really interesting thing from this quote is this whole idea of uh, where Blake thinks oh Rose improves things by building and i improve things by tearing down bad things um and like i i I wanted to disagree with this um but the more i think on all the big things blake has done the more i realize it does tend to amount to him just fucking shit up like um toronto is obviously a great example he just kind of screwed the entire ecosystem that had been quite stable yes. for over a hundred years. Yes. Uh, like that does actually seem to be his, his forte, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Rose hasn't just always built things up. She, she has had things she's torn down, but um, like that deal they were originally going to make for peace in Jacob's bell. I kind of mm. see that as something she, she tore down, but um, she does seem a little bit better at building more stable things like if you think about it jacob's bell was on the knife's edge for about a month or so while blake wasn't there and then it Mm. took all of a day and a half for it to go to shit after he was (laughs) so uh, you know i don't know how much of that we want to blame on him but it does seem like rose is maybe better at building things so it's not it's not the most charitable read on himself from blake but like the more i think on it the more i think he's probably not wrong yeah and and thinking about him tearing stuff down also puts me in mind of the way he's dealt with himself where he just gives up pieces of himself bit by bit you know yes it's yeah. it's very i don't know it's a very kind of it reminds me of erosion right he's slowly eroding himself and kind of his allies like evan we've seen turn a bit more um yep. macabre stuff like that yes and then obviously um there's seemingly another big loss later in this chapter that we'll talk about yes we'll get to that um so yeah, uh, Rose begins kind of prepping people to fight Barbatorum, putting the the analogy used is of chess, where she's you know the the chess player moving her pieces around into optimal positions, which I think is a pretty good analogy. I mean, it works so, so well. I pulled out the whole thing here to read it, but I just read out a bit quote, so I won't do that. But basically, <laughs> Blake Blake looks around and compares everyone to their relevant chess pieces. Yeah. Um. Except for Ellie and Kristoff, who just kind of get a mention as just, they're there. Yeah, um, the the knights as well are just, like, put off to the side, <laughs> which is funny, um, because obviously the knight, a knight is a chess piece, but they don't get to yes. be that. They're, they're not even pawns as well, they're just on the sidelines. Yeah, well, I kind of feel like the, the reason the knights and, and Ellie and Kristoff are put off to the side like this is just so we can get that line where Blake thinks, there are no pawns, just me. Yeah. Um, and it, like, I read that and I was like, oh, this is just the most Blake fucking thing I've ever read. Like, he's just, 
he just immediately puts himself in the role of the pawn. He's like, well, if there's a piece that needs sacrificing... Yes, uh, exactly. You know, I'm, your, I'm your tree. Yeah, so there's Blake, and the other pawns he mentions would have been the others, satyrs or maenads that they had had before, but that haven't survived, that have died along the way. Yeah. Um, so it's clear that he's saying, this is the sacrificial piece, it's me. <laughs> Yeah, um, hopefully hopefully soon he makes it to the end of the board and gets promoted to yeah, a queen. Exactly. And and I think that's what happens at the end of this chapter, right? Is the he's yeah. made it to the end of the board and the abyss says to him, "Hey, do you want to become the king?" <laughs> that's that's a really good point. Um I like that. Um so yeah, uh basically <laughs> stuff starts kicking off. <laughs> um the the abyss starts bringing in some monsters. Uh, basically shaking things up to force something <laughs> yeah. to happen which is literally a it just move. it just shakes the board it's just like go do it yeah I and mean, this prompts everybody to get into action alistair summons the timeless armor which is great to see that again he starts working mm-hmm. on a diagram and as soon as he starts working on this diagram barbatorum's like oh shit i better do some stuff and the <laughs> the fight kicks off yeah and, and so obviously this this suit of armor really lives up to the hype um like it actually kind of manages to hold its ground against the barber. Yes. Um. But I, but I like how it stacks up as this combat representative of time. Like it, it's it's this immovable object, this unalterable force. Even a demon can't kind of fuck with it. Yeah. But also, like demons are immortal, so he just kind of goes around it. Like, <laughs> yeah. which is which is such a representation of how these immortal beings work. Like they can't fight against time, but they can just uh, avoid the consequences for a while. Yeah, um, it put me in mind of like, you know, an, an unstoppable force versus an immovable object, right? Where they just, yeah. they, they're clearly both strong enough that they can't, they're too strong to hurt each other, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But like, it's almost like the, the time armor cu- doesn't really seem to be able to hurt Barbatorum mm. um, because he doesn't age. But also, yeah, Barbatorum can't really seem to hurt it because it it represents time so yeah barbatorum kind of comes out on top just because he can move around it like literally yeah because the time armor is defending while barbatorum is attacking and if you're attacking it's a lot easier to just kind of get around something when you don't have to you know worry with it yeah yeah exactly um so something that i quite liked is how much these diagrams alistair's drawing are set up as actually they will do something like as soon yeah. as he starts drawing barbatorum reacts and that sets up to us hey these this diagram it actually will work given enough time they will be able to bind or stop barbatorum and it's a great it's a great way of set of setting up a win condition against barbatorum which is something that we haven't really seen I and mean, even the timeless yeah. armor turns out to not be a win condition right no, you're absolutely right. That's what really carries the tension is this this chapter is defined by this sense of if Blake can stall Barbatorum for just a bit longer, Alistair will have the diagram and then there's actually something we can do. And you're right, yeah. that's just kind of imprinted in our minds by the way Barbatorum seems to respond to Alistair during that, which, yeah, like, that, that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, so uh, Blake and the, <laughs> the Timeless Armor uh, managed to keep Barba away from Alistair enough. Um, but this fight has basically broken the no noise policy and stuff starts mm. flowing in from the library, including this kind of human flesh nidhog human centipede thing, which is terrifying. Wabo, who hurt you? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, it's, it's rough. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, this thing is 
this thing's my favorite other in this story now. Like, it's so fucking disgusting on every level. Yeah. It really feels like Walbo, like, saw the human centipede and was like, oh, that's okay. But you know what would make it even grosser? Um, yeah. Like, the, the, the butterflied human bodies that make up its front, yes. like a cobra. It's, it's horrifying. Just, yeah. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. Do- and the way that all the things are alive and they're like, <laughs> they're, they're trying to scratch themselves. Ah, it's, 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 absolutely horrifying i loved it do you think that while Bo just googles like top 10 most disturbing things and tries to one-up them because <laughs> that's what this feels like um yeah either that or while Bo just is like his mind is just top 10 most disturbing things yeah and gosh. he's able to he's like i i think it might just be natural talent <laughs> natural talent for upsetting people yeah. um so <laughs> okay let's let's I don't want to talk about the flesh centipede too much, to be honest, because it like it does play a fairly large role in this chapter, but also it's just upsetting for me to think about. <laughs> um, okay, okay. Yeah, so, uh, you know, the fight continues. This big flesh worm is now basically flopping around the battlefield, so that's fine. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> uh, the barber almost uh, chops Alistair, which is pretty rough. Um, but he is able to use the hyena to stop Barbs from killing Alistair, um, and Barbatorum basically now has a pretty good hold on Blake, uh, which is rough. <laughs> it seems that Barbatorum is able to grab him again for the third time. But luckily this time, mm. nothing bad happens. Alexis just saves him, and it's all fine. <laughs> um, yeah. So, first of all, uh, uh, like quick, quick side note, Alistair uses a... Um, time slow down spell on the human centipede so yeah. it starts like piling up on itself and yay yeah just 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 a fun image for everyone to think about as we go down to our next topics um like because remember they're all like covered in fluids and sticky and, and moist yeah um but yeah i mean obviously i think it really matters that alexis is the one who does this here like even though she kind of explodes blake apart so that barbatorum has nothing to grab yeah. seems to be what happens which is um I mean, that's a very Blake thing to do, to <laughs> it's a Blake, good play, to be honest. It? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's exactly like, what Blake would have done, I think. Yeah, you, you can't grab Blake if I just rip out his sternum. Yeah. Um, but, like, obviously, Blake has been so muddled in his feelings for Alexis for the last few arcs. Like, there's really been this sense of he still has feelings for her, but they're so mixed up in in the sort of perceived betrayal and just all the shit that's gone on and so i think it's really important that alexis is the one to do this um because of what happens later in the chapter like this sort of puts alexis much further in the good books again because she she's the one who saves him here yeah Uh, but i think it's important to note that she doesn't die because of this sacrificial act like kind of thematically it ties up together but kind of great care is taken to show that Alexis's thing doesn't make noise, and so she's not necessarily about to be swarmed and killed. And in fact, Blake doesn't see her die. Obviously, um, it's just guesswork what happens to her, right? We don't actually see any hints at what has happened to her. Yeah, and, and that's different because if she kind of heroically died saving Blake, it would be very different emotions uh, that would be tied to it, especially for us readers, not not yes. just for Blake. But there's something different about the fact that she saved him, and that you know, is probably helping his confusion about how exactly uh, he feels about her and what their relationship is at this point. And then she just seemingly has died in, in off screen yeah, basically while uh, this has gone on. And that's, that's like a different kind of tragic. Yes. I, I think the difference, the key difference to Blake being 
closure and to us as well, I suppose. Yeah. Like there's just no knowledge of what has happened to her. And so it could literally be anything. Yeah, yeah. Um well, and like her sacrificing herself could be seen as like this this surefire thing of oh their relationship, you know, ha- has been recovered even yeah. if she died and and, and, you know, yeah, whereas there's no closure because it's like she saves him and then you're sort of like, oh, is there hope for these two yet? And But we don't get to find out because she's just gone now. It, it's not as simple as, oh, they're fixed because she died saving him, which, yeah, yeah has its own form of, um, you know, bittersweet closure. Yeah. Um, so Blake and Barbatorum continue to scrap on top of this giant worm. Nice. Um, Blake <laughs> basically sprays... Uh, blood and viscera onto the barber's shears to stop them from being so reflective, which is a nice little trick. Um, and he also notices that Ellie and Kristoff have seemingly escaped. Uh, they they manage to run off while Barbatorum is distracted. So good good play. Yeah, I mean, these two kind of escaping gives you this sense of hope, right? Because you, you oh, yeah. see that in the midst of all this chaos, um, these two have kind of managed to sneak out and there's a sense of, hey, like this isn't going so bad. Like, yeah. These two managed to to get out. That's that's good. Yeah, totally. It's um, it's definitely possible to escape. Again, it's kind of like yeah. gives us hope, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then obviously the other little uh, fun thing that happens here is the Abyss tries to make another deal with Blake. Uh, wants to give him a free eye upgrade, like non non reflective model. Yeah, uh, that just came out. Eyes Mark Two. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, it's a steal, right? Like, sacrifice your normal human eyes for, for upgraded ones. I mean, that's better than what he did for most of his body parts. Um, yeah, no downside and no obvious downside. <laughs> I'm sure there would be one. Yeah, well, I mean, I, like, that's the interesting thing is, like, he, he has sacrificed more for less is yeah. something I would argue. Um, this is probably one of the best sacrifice parts of yourself deals he's gotten. Uh, and it, you, like, I think you could make all this interesting stuff about, you know, eyes being the windows to the soul and all mm. that, but, um, it does just kind of feel like Blake has reached his breaking point with sacrificing bits of himself yeah. like this. Like he just, he says no. And that's, that's like powerful. Cause we really saw the stuff with the wings last arc. And now we got this one, which is kind of objectively a great deal. And he's like, no, fuck off. These are my eyes. They're basically all I've got left. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's going to be important when we factor in the decision he has to make at the end of this chapter yeah it's good to know that he does have a line that he's not going to cross and apparently it's his eyes and a little bit of forehead yeah (laughs) um yeah no i think it's interesting that he doesn't make the sacrifice and i think it's also interesting that around the same point after he doesn't make the sacrifice barbatorum goes to chop at his forehead right like something that i've kind of started to notice is it seems like barbatorum is going for the human bits of blake right um and and it makes me think that Barbatorum thinks or maybe knows that all he needs to do to turn Blake into a, an ally to him is get rid of the human pieces left. Yeah, yeah, that's probably a good point. So uh, don't take those deals, Blake, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, yeah, so Barbatorum basically gets a bit frustrated at the slowness of this fight. And so he amps it up a level by basically... Um, superhero landing on the column and shattering it into pieces uh so it breaks and and makes a huge loud noise and basically every other in the library abyss heads towards them uh, including the stuff that he's been cutting up over the past two chapters yes um and i love how like just chaotic it starts to feel here 
um like not only is this worm taking up a huge portion of the battlefield um but the stage is is breaking apart again if, like i feel like we're coming back to this a lot but it feels kind of video gamey mm. in the way it's like all the platforms like uh, are starting to fall apart and it's like you know you're gonna have to jump from part of the pillar to part of the pillar yeah um but you know the the bells formerly known as molly uh are going off so loudly you can't even really think straight um all the others are coming it's like just as they started to get organized um Barbatorum has just completely smashed that. And I love that because that's kind of what he does, right? He's of the third choir. So he he targets order and and sort of structure. Yeah. And it kind of feels like the second there starts to feel like a bit of structure to this fight and the group is well aligned as a chessboard, Barbatorum literally just smashes <laughs> the board. Like it, he's he not just ruining the, the structure of the pillar. Yeah, he doesn't just break the board. He, he also breaks up any cohesiveness the group has. And, and this battle yeah. just enters complete ru- like ruin yes it, it takes a orderly fight and turns it into chaos which is the barber's yes. whole deal um can we touch on what the hell is going on with molly like i don't know if we've <laughs> talked about this yet but she seems to and i'm just gonna keep using the name molly even though that might not be correct at this point um so she seems to have basically fully fallen in now with the abyss like she is now a part of the abyss right like she seems to have I, just become a warning system for the library yeah like after the last chapter and then this chapter i've just kind of assumed she's gone like even the you know godling slash um wraith version of molly has kind of been subsumed into a tool of the abyss yeah um, and i mean this is something like doesn't seem to really consider like there's there's not really any point where he he like i don't think he's used the term molly to describe the bells much at all these two chapters it's mostly just been the bells and we're the ones talking about molly um which yeah i don't know like it's interesting how little he sort of considered her in in that like he did i think he has sort of once or twice but um like because there's a lot there you know the the abyss is sort of seemingly just turned her into a tool and obviously it's going to try and do that to him very <laughs> yeah, soon exactly there's a lot of parallels there yeah yeah exactly so i want like maybe maybe something to do with molly or sharp next chapter as they're trying to make this decision i don't know yeah hmm. all right we'll see um so uh there's more uh fight scenes barbatorum almost kills alistair and for a, a sentence or two you think he has and then you keep reading and you realize that blake has just saved him in time um, mm-hmm. and they continue to fight Barbie. Uh, Jeremy makes a nice sacrificial play. They get a chance to escape and Blake notices Alexis's absence. Yeah. So again, I think I've already said this, this arc needs a visual adaptation because the image of Blake shoving the hyena in the back of the shears to stop them closing properly and yeah. it just not closing on Alistair's neck is fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, like I, I, I need to see that on screen um it's good isn't it it's yeah. very cinematic um it's like the handle's shut you think that they've snipped off alistair's head or whatever and you the camera pans slightly around and you see oh no the the, sh- the hyena is right in the shears and they're just like stopped just <laughs> out of his neck and he kind of steps backwards out of them perfect beautiful <laughs> yeah, it, moment it's so cool um we get to see jeremy use his power again which is always awesome because it's just so it's awesome in the old sense of the word. Like, it's awe-inspiring, right? Um, and it's so yeah. great because he's, by definition, he can only use this power very sparingly. So it always feels very, very 
impressive every time he does. Yeah, well, and it validates the stakes being that high. Like, if Dionysus is sort of willing to do this again so soon, yeah. you sort of get the impression that Dionysus is kind of on board with how epic this fight is. Yeah, um, totally. So it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of weirdly validating of how high the stakes are. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, obviously, so something we, we kind of skip, we, we kind of got lost in all the Alistair stuff that you mentioned before is obviously Blake notices that Alexis doesn't seem to be around anymore. Mm. And... um. This this cuts him really deep. Like something we've focused on a lot the last arc and a half is how Blake doesn't feel fear, and it kind of feels like that's all been leading up to the fact that when he notices Alexis is missing, he becomes paralyzed by sort of fear, basically. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, this gets to the shred of humanity left inside of him so starkly that it actually overrides all of his like resistance to fear that um, the other part of him has. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It it therefore is. A loss of one of his most human connections, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. Like, um, we we saw how emotional damage has harmed him. Like, all of Arc 13 was basically Blake reacting to the knowledge that his friends had sort of betrayed him as far as he was concerned. Yeah. So, wait, this is going to be a huge emotional hit to him. What is that going to do to Blake's psyche? Like, I think that, that'll be something that's really interesting to see going forward. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like it's going to be huge. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it will play into the decision he has to make at the end of this chapter, right? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Is he, you know, how much is he willing to sacrifice given where it leads all his friends? Mm-hmm. Um, so the barber makes a big dramatic re-entry into the fray, uh, eviscerating one of the knights and uh, also chopping up Alistair's hand as he tries to get involved, which is pretty brutal. Um, yeah, I've- but like... Mm. sorry to interrupt but just like good move from alistair like that was pretty heroic like yeah totally yeah like i you know i was impressed yeah solid move alistair trade a hand for almost someone's life i mean it doesn't work out it's a yeah it's a heroic play that doesn't uh end up doing that much so it's a very blake play i suppose in that way it's the thought that counts (laughs) yeah um rose uh comes back in with full conquest energy up high and basically starts bossing around Barbatorum, yelling him into submission, and it works for a bit. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love this. I thought it was so cool how she just like kind of loses her shit. And um, I mean, it actually started to get my hopes up. Like when Barbatorum was being backed <laughs> up, I was like, okay, I don't think this is going to work forever. Yeah. Um, but I was like, this this seems to be working, and it's just going to be that push they need to get him in there. Um. I was like, for a, for a second, I was like, I, I hope the cracks in the diagram won't matter. Um, mm. Turns out they do, but yeah. uh, it, it's it's really cool. Yeah, it's good. It, it, it reminds me of um of two chapters ago when Rose is bossing around that teacher other, and you think for a second that it's going to work, and it doesn't. But it works for a little bit, and it, you get this glimpse of, man, how cool would it be if you could just boss around others? <laughs> um, Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Like, I feel like that was maybe a... A bit of a prelude to to what's going on here, um, because yeah, she does like I I don't know I I, I think what what my my favorite point of this whole bit might be is just sort of after it when she um when it stops working and there's sort of like I think Rose just looks at Blake and starts talking to him and there's a sense of she's like well we did our best I don't yeah. know it's like this really beautiful like well we lost but you know we did what we could gave it a try it's, yeah. Yeah, like, I don't know, it was just this nice little moment uh, before uh, Johannes steps up. Mm. Yeah, um, and step up he does. 
Uh, yeah, and in fact, like I, I want to talk about this one bit um, where Faisal talks through Johannes yes. is basically what happens. Yeah. Um, and and so what he says is, uh, I'd hoped for more. What a shame. I thought I might have to force it, but I think I can leave this up to you. Mm-hmm. And I just want to confirm I'm understanding all this right because I didn't get it the first time I read it. And I, I think I've got it the second time. But like, obviously, when he says, I thought I might have to force it, but I think I can leave this up to you. That's when he like leaves Johannes' body, right? And basically knows that Johannes is going to make the <laughs> sacrifice himself. Yeah, which it shows that Faisal understands how good of a guy Johannes is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I will begrudgingly admit that Johannes is is a good person now that he's dead, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but like, I think the thing that really jumped out to me a bit was the whole like I'd hoped for more because mm. like the best read I've come up with for that is like he'd hoped for more of them to die before he had <laughs> Johannes do this, which yeah, um, I, like it doesn't quite make sense to me because that seems a little bit too malicious for Faisal yeah. rather than just like like his whole thing of collateral damage. I don't know. No, I think it's, I mean, it could be that. It's hard to comprehend Faisal's motivation sometimes, but I kind of read it as he had hoped that they would, I guess, stall or deal with Barbatorum more than they ended up doing. Yeah, or maybe maybe he hoped that they'd weaken Barbatorum more or something. Yeah, mm. yeah, that, that that makes sense. Um, yeah, but whatever Faisal was hoping for, it seems that he didn't have as firm of a plan as I would have hoped. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, uh, this situation got a lot more out of control than Faisal made it seem like he had it at the end of fourteen dot X. Like <laughs> yes. that moment where he was looking down, it was kind of he the way he was thinking about it gave me this impression that it was all like. Oh yes, my chess pieces are dancing yeah, just as I wanted. Exactly. And then, like we've seen the last three chapters, and as far as I'm concerned, it's been a complete clusterfuck. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Blake was already pretty good at ruining plans, and add to that a demon of ruin. I'm sure uh, things didn't yeah. go quite as Faisal wanted. Yeah, I'd say so. I'm not to try and justify his plans or anything. <laughs> Um, can we touch on this bit where Blake just full on slashes Johannes's eyes and then Sparta kicks him off the edge and everyone's just kind of like, yep, that's cool. That's not weird and metal and, uh, brutal. It's just kind (laughs) of what has to happen. Like they're all accepting some pretty, uh, I don't know. That's pretty gross. Right. I mean, it it reminds me again of the teacher, um, the way Blake just offed (laughs) her. Like I think we've just sort of reached the point in the story and things are this bad in the library that... It, it, no, none of the characters anymore are questioning whether this is okay. Because you're right, the second yeah. they sort of realise Barbatorum is in Johannes, not even Blake second guesses just stabbing him in the eyes to kind of trap Barbatorum yep. in there and then just kicking him off. And no, yeah, nobody sort of comments on it. They're all just sort of like, mm-hmm, like this is something that happened and should have. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, it's, yeah. Anyway, so they do that. Johannes, with Barbatorum inside, is now just tumbled over to the bottom of the abyss, presumably. Um, and the group is able to escape uh, this part. They escape into some <laughs> trees. And, uh, yes, the abyss won't let them go without one final fuck you, which is uh, leave Blake behind. I I love this so much. Like, mm. this is such a... Like, it, it feels like so much has been leading to this. Like, we... We sort of talked about how the ink monster was like a bit weird with when Blake was all like, oh, you want to get out? And he just smiled back at Blake and I was sort of like, <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, and, and we've heard about the Guardians before. Like, this is just one of those twists where when when you mm. find out the Abyss wants him, you just sort of like, oh, of course it does. Like, yes. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, like it, it just <laughs> it, it just all clicked into place for me. Yeah, it all comes together quite nicely, right? Um, and I, I guess the thing to think about now is, is Blake going to do it? Because, you know, it kind of plays on the themes of self-sacrifice that we know and love Blake for, but also there's just been so much shit, right? Like, yeah, it does feel like Blake is at the end of his rope making deals with the Abyss. So, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, well... Because it's like when I did my live read, I think like the first, my first instinct was that everyone would have to talk Blake out of doing this because I was sort of like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. you know, self sacrifice, that's his favorite hobby. Of course he's going <laughs> to, yeah. of course he's going to do it. But, um, not, not giving up his freedom is his other big, um, thing. Yeah. And this is obviously like, you know, very anti that. Like we saw all the stuff with the Seal of Solomon. In fact, I think the only time he's been willing to fl- be flexible on not having complete freedom was when he was willing to let Rose bind him to Alexis. And obviously, yeah. that's not an option anymore. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I, I think Alexis's um, seeming death right yeah. here is going to be a big factor. Like, in a lot of ways, I feel like this is almost every big issue Blake has dealt with in the book coming together in one mm. decision. Like, this this feels really big. Like, we've got, yeah, as we touched on, his, his love of freedom, his love of sacrificing himself, um you know stuff to do with alexis just the abyss like it feels like so much is in here i i don't know which direction he's gonna go like i honestly feel like the whole next chapter or even like the whole rest of the arc could just be discussing all of the factors in play here and it would still feel like there's not enough put into it like there's there's so much going on here i can't wait to see yeah, what I assume is at least an entire chapter of just discussing (laughs) whether or not blake should do this yeah because I can I can I can make a list of twenty reasons he would and wouldn't. Yeah, do it. I have absolutely no idea which way he's going to go. It's it's amazing. Yeah, I think the interesting thing to think about is like, what's the alternative to Blake? Like, go out and continue to be an, a boogeyman? Like, is that the life yeah. that you want to live? Wouldn't it be better? I mean, maybe not better, but isn't it worth considering becoming the guardian of the abyss? Maybe you can even let some of the nice others out, and that'd be good. And you get the rest of your sword back. You get that locket that you liked. Like, there's some pros. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. Being a boogeyman comes with its own limitations and restrictions. Yeah. And I don't know if we know enough about what guardians do. Like, maybe that'll be part of the discussion. Like, what exactly yeah, are the pros and cons of being one of these guardians? <laughs> yeah. Because, like, it seems so far to be one of the cushier gigs and Mm. as you said like in some ways better than being a boogeyman because it kind of feels like there's less pressure the abyss will just leave you alone as long as you're doing your job is kind of the impression i'm getting yeah but But i I don't know how i don't know how correct that is because the abyss just leaving you alone doesn't really seem to be its thing it's kind of always in the grill um it's very pervasive (laughs) yeah well so i think like the other the other big thing that's going to be like a factor here that we haven't really talked about is there's a bit of a sense of the uh, like they've kind of won right like so barbatorum is seemingly dealt with although i don't actually think barbatorum's gone for good that was a little too easy yeah but if you know assuming you know if they believe barbatorum is now stuck down there um with johannes and barbatorum gone fazal's probably just going to bugger off so you know no need to worry about him anymore (laughs) yeah it's Um, true his missions are now completed assuming barbatorum is dealt with yeah exactly so so, like, you know, there's every chance Faisal's just going to leave. Mm. Uh, Barbatorum's maybe gone. I-, I think the lawyers aren't currently a problem. I can't remember exactly what Rose said, but they're the only things I'd be worried about being, like, another big bad. Mm. But, like, so there is a bit of a sense right now of 
There's no one left to fight. There's nothing left to fight for. Like, Jacob's Bell's already a write-off. Like, I think we, we were already talking about that before Faisal yeeted everyone into the abyss. Yeah. So, like, I think part of the discussion might even have to be, Blake, there's nothing yeah. for you to fight anymore. Like, like, you know, you should take this job because, you, you know, you've done what you need to do, yeah. I, I guess. There's like, no other goals to be dealt with, right? Yeah. Well, what, what do you... What do you not wanting to be a guardian for because mm. Le- alexis is gone there's nothing left to fight like everyone else can probably just escape like yeah I, like i don't know i think part of it's going to have to be there is a bit of a sense right now of everything has been defeated you mm. can relax and maybe this is one way you can do that yeah um, he doesn't really have a good plan for how his life is going to continue past this conflict and maybe this is a path i mean it's not a great path yeah. but it's something yeah yeah exactly so and i mean maybe maybe as the discussion starts to head that way that's when barbatorum will show up again because that just seemed a bit the way they dealt with him seemed a bit easy i'm i'm pretty convinced he's, he's gonna yeah, make yeah. he'll make his way back um and i don't know if blake the guardian will be enough to keep him in the abyss yeah so yeah yeah i mean i guess we'll have to see next time in possession 15.4 and onwards uh, because that's the end of this chapter um yeah like i i can't wait i, I cannot wait to see uh more of well exactly how this decision plays out i think it's going to be a really fun multifaceted discussion yeah definitely Um, but before we get there uh we we, for our bonus bit today we're just going to do a quick monster corner on Mm. human centipedes yep uh so yeah um do you want to do you want to take it away elliot yeah uh okay i'll just break first i can't i can't do this (laughs) we're not doing that that would be I don't. No one would enjoy that. We yes. wouldn't enjoy saying it. We don't want to uh, do it. You, you don't want to listen to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, parabiosis is a big no-no for from me. Yeah, that's um, a new word to me. Um, so I googled it as I Google any new words. Don't Google that. Like it's just there's nothing <laughs> fun in there. No, I, the the too long don't read to to say be googling it is parabiosis is when, uh, you know, scientists in inverted commas uh, <laughs> stitch. Uh, stitch bits of animals together to try and make them live like it's just human centipeding other animals and yeah. i don't know why like it upsets me that there's a word for this <laughs> yeah uh great anyway instead we're gonna do a comment dive so we didn't have to touch that whole parabiosis thing <laughs> well ruben why don't you tell us what you've uh, brought for the comment dive yes first? perfect uh i brought a comment by a user called leverett who i'm pretty sure we haven't had a comment from before so congratulations leverett mm. you made it um they basically start a comment chain of, well, if Blake's not going to be the gatekeeper, who is? And I thought this was a really fun little discussion, like, who's going to yeah. be the new gatekeeper for the abyss? Um, and I vote... Evan. Well, okay, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Molly's ghost makes a, is a good candidate, right? Like, she's already pretty tied to the abyss. She's already yep. got some weird stuff going on there. I don't know, just feels like a good connection. Yeah, if there's enough Molly left for the for something to manifest as a guardian you're right because she is she does seem to be an important set piece for the whole library now mm. um i don't know you know she could just hang out with her her cousin her cousin can take the job and they can be <laughs> yeah, and she can know, come visit. Can hang out for yeah. eternity um uh, conquest is also him, well she can she can she can oh. come and let him know when someone's coming i mean yeah, yeah true true she rings the alarm and he decides whether to let them through or not yeah um conquest also gets a mention which is fun because i think the idea of conquest dressed up as a stern librarian is great so (laughs) i'm all for it i mean he's kind of subservient to the abyss in that role right like i think Mm. that would be an interesting dynamic yeah true um yeah 
but I, I like it. Like he would, he would make a good guardian if he could, <laughs> if he could get past that one bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how about you, Elliot? What comment did you pull yeah. out? Uh, so I brought a comment uh, from Born of Prayers, mm. who uh, takes a unique idea that maybe when uh, Blake Sparta kicked Barbatorum down into the abyss, he's uh, like hopefully paid off his debt. Because <laughs> remember, like yeah, uh, yeah. when he got his wings, he promised the abyss a big meal. Uh, so Born of Prayers has kind of got their fingers crossed that. Uh, that Barbatorum might count as that. Um, I'm a little doubtful, as I've said. I'm not even convinced Barbatorum's staying down there. Yeah. Um, but I, I liked this as an idea, and it just reminded me that that Blake does have this debt. He needs to pay the abyss. <laughs> yes, uh, that is always in the back of our mind, I guess. Um, yeah, just just yet another factor of uh, some, or just another factor that will play into this decision. Yeah, exactly. I mean, clearing out your debt with the abyss is probably a pretty good uh, deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's all we have for Possession 15.3, so thanks for joining us, folks. If you have comments on this episode that you'd like to leave us, or even comments on our discussion question, which we will be uh, talking about next chapter, that discussion question is, pick a famous or important place to you and explain what you think the abyss might turn it into. Um, if you have an answer to that or comments on 15.3 uh, or the show, just leave them in our discussion thread, which will be linked down below. Uh, yes, and you know another thing you can chuck in there is any thoughts you have for uh, uh, all packed up. We obviously have yes. that Google form that we've been including in the uh, Reddit threads, and uh, <laughs> we've got some h- hilarious responses to that already. Oh, really? Uh, some 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 stuff to do. So, I look at um, those. I'm so hyped. Yeah, I'm very excited. Um, if you want more uh, non-packed related uh, stuff, mm-hmm. yeah, you can head to doformedia.com and see the great selection of podcasts there. Yep. Uh, I would personally recommend uh, Media MD's Magnus Archives Love episode, it. which came out yesterday. Yep. Um, I, we had a lot of fun recording that with Matt. Yes. Uh, we recorded this one early, and the evidence for that is that I'm now halfway through season three of the Magnus Archives, <laughs> where I was up to the end of season one at the time we recorded that episode. So it's been a. Yeah. Obviously, that's a bit of a spoiler that I enjoyed it. Uh, but yeah, you should check out the episode. It's a good time. Yep. Uh, and if you want to hear more from, from us or anyone else on the Doof Network, um, you know, any, any of the shows like Do the Right Thing, We've Got Ward, um, they're all completely supported by our patrons, uh, patreon.com forward slash doofmedia. Mm-hmm. Uh, without those patrons, none of these shows would exist as they currently do. Yeah. Um, while you're on Patreon, why don't you head on over to Wabo's Patreon uh, so you can give him some money for making all the horrifying flesh monsters that uh, he yeah. <laughs> made this chapter. You're right. Without without Wildbo's Patreon, the most horrifying thing I would have ever seen would have just been a normal human sentence. Yeah, exactly. Scrub. That's entry level <laughs> stuff. So if you want to continue having nightmares, make sure you back Wildbo on Patreon today. Yep. So apart from that, we'll see everyone on uh, Monday, the thirteenth of January, for Possession fifteen point four. Bye.